Check, 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 check. Justin, and what was the last name? It's one of those things where you just spell it the way you think it probably would be spelled. Okay. Any other prayer requests this morning? Yes, ma'am. What's the name? I heard Silva. Stella. Cancer. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Oh yes. Um, the other day when we were when we were uh, helping with Brother Mize's funeral, um, they were telling us about that little boy. I think he was nine, nine years old, the one that was killed in the. Absolutely. Check check. Anyone else? Uh, yes, ma'am. Kenneth Starr. Okay. Thanks, Clue. Appreciate you. Just one moment. They want me to wear this because of the, the, the online Facebook. Apparently it works with this one, but not that one, so. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yes, pray for our nation. Um, you know, the other day uh, we uh, we celebrated the the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and um, you know the. Uh, just the move back toward life in, in this nation. And I, I saw just this week that, uh, that our president has signed executive orders uh, to try to override the Supreme Court's ruling in order to enforce abortion rights across the country. And, uh, and listen, uh, I want to I say something very quick about, about this. Um, some people think that a preacher is never supposed to ever talk about anything that touches on politics. I disagree with that. Um, because I believe that you can be political and you can be biblical, and you can have biblical views about political things, especially when they touch on spiritual nature of our country. We are at war spiritually in this nation, and I've told you before, and I'm going to say it again, we're facing very difficult times, and the things that the Holy Spirit is showing his church right now is that these difficult times that are coming is going to result in civil um, unrest in our nation, and I very very much believe that the issues that you see that are being pushed to the forefront of the news stations right now are the very things that are going to cause a lot of these divisions and problems in the future. So I ask you to please be in prayer for the soul of our country. Um, I believe that we have come to a point in this nation where we are being weighed in the balances by the Father. And depending upon what we do as Christians, depending upon what we do when the Bible tells us that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray... I will heal their land. 
I think we need to take the Father um, at his word. Um, we've been seeing things progressively get worse and worse um, with the civil unrest, with the tensions, with the problems. And uh, I believe that the Lord has, has shown that it's going, to, um, it's going to get worse. So we need to be in prayer, okay, for our nation. Anything else? Absolutely. Pray for the lost. All right. There's no other burning prayer request. Let's go ahead and take a moment. And let's go to the Father. <clears throat> Our most gracious Father, I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. I'm so happy to be here with all of God's people. And Father, we, we know that as we, we bow our heads and as we, we sit in this, this auditorium, that in reality, Father, in the Spirit, we're sitting with you at the right hand of the throne of God. You tell us in your word that we are seated with you in heavenly places. And so, Father, we know that when we pray, we don't have to strain. We don't have to yell. We don't have to send a rocket ship to the farthest reaches of space. We know that, that when we speak to you, Father, because of what you've done for us by wiping away our sins, it's as simple as leaning over and putting our head on the chest of our Father and whispering to him the things that are on our hearts. So, Father, we want to pray for several things this morning. Pray for Perlene as she's about to go to Uganda. And, Father, I'm just going to state the obvious. I've never been in a church where a church person, a Church of Christ person, would pray for somebody who's not in a Church of Christ to go somewhere to Africa to preach somewhere. God, I'm so thankful for this place. I'm so thankful that the walls of denominationalism is crumbling. And that you are raising up a Joshua generation to go out and to take territory away from the enemy. You are raising up a boldness in your church to take the very words of Christ and live them out. I'm so thankful, Father. So God, I pray that you would give her all that she needs to accomplish the mission ahead. I pray for Janet, for Eddie. I pray for Gina, for Pam's entire family. I pray for Justin and for Stella. I pray for the young man, his family, who are going through the loss of their little nine-year-old boy. Father, I can't even imagine what that's like, and I don't want to. But Father, I pray that somehow, some way, that you will touch their hearts and lives and give them peace that surpasses understanding in this difficult time. I pray for Evangeline. I pray for a, a miracle in her life, Father. And we pray, Father, for those who are lost in this community around us. God, I pray that you would light a fire in every single one of our spirits so that we would take the time to see the people around us. Not just notice them, but to see them. To look into their hearts, to see the pain, to know, Father, that what we have is worth sharing with someone else. And so I pray that as we leave these doors today, that we will literally walk out as the army of the Lord ready and willing to take this gospel message that you've given us and to share it with everybody, at the person at the gas station, the, with, with, the, with the teenager who hangs around the block, whatever it may be, with the, the boss at work or with the co-worker at work, I pray that we will have a boldness to, 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 to not stop sharing Jesus Christ, but to, to, to share him even more. 
And Father, I know that we're living in a time that is becoming darker. I get that. But Father, I pray that you would help the light to shine even brighter as the darkness encroaches upon this nation. Father, give us faith. Lord, I think sometimes we, we talk a big talk, but we don't walk a big walk. And that's because we don't believe it. And Father, Father, your word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so I pray, Father, that you would help his word grow deeper and deeper inside of us so that we will always be willing and ready to share the reason for the hope that we have within us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, for those of you, I, I did forget to mention this. Uh, there is going to be a reunion next week. Um, I was handed this last night. This is the Chrysalis Rush. Um, it's going to be uniting the, the girls that were on the recent girls' walk and the boys that are coming off the boys' walk. Um, it'll be Sunday, July the 17th, next Sunday, um, from 3 to, to 5 o'clock. And it says, bring your friends. Well, guess who my friends are? You guys, okay? So I'm planning to go next Sunday, so if anybody would like to join us. You can. Where's it going to be? Um, Stanton, Texas, about an hour and 15 away, hour and 10. Circle six. circle six. Yeah, Circle Six Camp. Um, for about a whole entire day, my wife kept telling everybody, go to the Circle K. I said, honey, it's not the Circle K, it's the Circle Six. It's the Circle Six. Okay. Are we ready to start? Okay, let's get started this morning. We're going to get into the book of Daniel. If you would, take your Bibles out. We're going to be uh, getting into Daniel chapter 4 this morning. Just a quick review. Daniel chapter 1, if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar besieges Jerusalem at this time. This is when he takes the children of Israel captive. You have four guys, Daniel, Hananiah, um, Mishael, and Azariah. These guys are taken in. They're, they're young kids. Uh, at the time, they're the best of the best, cream of the crop. They're the ones that are going to be raised up into the... Um, the court of the king in order to serve the king. And then in uh, Daniel chapter 2 and 3, well, by the way, interesting little thought I had this week as I was resetting some of this stuff. Did you remember when Nebuchadnezzar, when he takes these Hebrew children, he changes their names. Remember that? He changes their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, isn't it interesting how many of you know that we as Christians who have surrendered our lives over to a brand new master, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that we will receive a new name as well. Isn't that fascinating? We're going to receive a new name as well. That's Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. So in Daniel chapter 2 and 3, again, we're still talking about Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember, we we're doing this chronologically speaking. The first four chapters all deal with things that take place during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. So chapter 2 and 3 was the second year of Nebuchadnezzar. This is the dream that he has of the, the image of the man. Um, this is the, the, the story of the fiery furnace, which we talked about last time. Now, um, this is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be getting into chapter 4, and there's a, an interesting thing that's going to happen. This comes at the very end of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, and it is a judgment that God is going to take against him to teach him a very valuable, important lesson. But bear in mind, why does God include this in your Bibles? Because not only is he teaching Nebuchadnezzar a very important lesson, he's using Nebuchadnezzar to teach you and me a very important lesson. And we're going to get into that here in just a moment. Okay, so if you remember in the last chapter, we had the story about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, if you remember at the very end, when the man came out of the fire, we ended the chapter. And this is the very end of chapter 3, and I'm just going to read the very last couple of verses here. 
But it says this. <clears throat> this is Nebuchadnezzar. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel to and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree uh, that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. And I want to say hello to the people who are watching online too. I always forget that I'm online. I always forget that I'm online. So uh, welcome to our class as well. So we come to chapter 4. And what we're going to see here at the beginning is that Nebuchadnezzar is going to write an official proclamation, right? He's going to write a, a, a imagine, if you will, um, him sitting down, writing this proclamation to go out to his kingdom. He sits down, his scribes then take it, and they're going to rescribe it. They're going to copy it a bunch of times, and then you're going to hand them to a bunch of horseback riders, and what are they going to do? They're going to ride across the realm. They're going to go everywhere. They're going to go all the major cities. They're going to take the proclamation to the king everywhere um, that, that, uh, that he has his realm. When does this take place? He makes this proclamation in 562 BC, the same year that he goes, or that he, not that he goes insane, the same year that God heals him of his, of his insanity. Does that make sense? What you're going to see in a moment is God is going to judge him for about seven years, for seven years total. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to go insane. Literally, he's going to go insane. In fact, he's going to start acting like an animal. God's going to allow him to do this or be this way for seven years. After that, we know 562 B.C., he comes out of it. That's when he writes this proclamation, okay? So bear in mind, this is the chapter entirely written in the Bible by a Gentile. Only chapter in the Bible written by a Gentile. Isn't that fascinating? Okay, so let's go ahead and begin. This is the edict. We're going to start in verse 1. And uh, I have the, the microphone ready here if anybody has a comment or a question and uh, I might volunteer somebody to be a runner this morning if you want get to your, get, your, uh, get your steps in, if you will. All right, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs. How mighty is His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. What do you think about that statement from a Gentile ruler of the world? Anybody? All gold. And wanted all nations to come and bow down. He thought, if I can make it all pure gold and get all nations to come and bow, my kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. That's right. And all the nations except one bowed down. And that was his nation, the people who descended from Israel. And we are grafted into Israel. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, 
Very cool. Very cool. All right. Yeah, Rick, go ahead. Amen. Okay. So I want to point out something here. This is something that, that I, that, this is Tim Brown's opinion, and you don't have to agree. Um, but I think that he's not there yet. I think he's almost there. God's working on him. He's been working on him. He, he was really working on him with the, the whole Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thing. He was really working on him with the image of gold and that whole deal, right? But if you notice here, you think at first glance, you're like, wow, this is so incredible. Here you've got this, this Gentile king who's making a proclamation throughout the whole earth, and he's magnifying God. He's humbling himself. But it turns out when you keep reading the chapter, it's actually the opposite. I think this man is very conflicted. And you know what his struggle is? Pride. His struggle is pride. Because that's, that, you see that, right? Because when, when you see the image, when he does the whole thing about making the whole thing gold, what's he saying? There's not going to be another kingdom. I'm the greatest king that has ever lived. I have the greatest kingdom, and it's going to continue on forever. And, and I'm going to make this happen, and I'm going to do this. And so when you read verses 1, 2, and 3 again in a little bit different way, I want to see if this maybe sounds a little different when you place the emphasis somewhere else. He says, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every nations who live in the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures for generation to generation. I think he's even being prideful about the fact that God is specifically doing stuff with him. Bear in mind, in ancient times, the kings felt like they were gods. Many of them did. Or if they didn't proclaim themselves to be a god, they felt like that they were the closest one to the god. Right? Because you had the state god. You had the, na the national god. And if you're the emperor, you're the king, then who gets to talk to the god? The king does. So I think Nebuchadnezzar almost has his ego stroked here a little bit. Oh, the Most High spoke to me. Right? Now you say, Tim, how do you think that? I think that because of verse 25. Skip down to verse 25, because here's what's going to happen. In a moment, he's going to have another dream. And this time, God is going to cause Nebuchadnezzar to temporarily go insane. Now, if he had, all, if he had actually humbled himself at this point, do you think God would have done this? No. But why is God doing this? He does it to humble him. Nebuchadnezzar has a major problem with pride. And even though he makes this proclamation, which sounds really spiritual, the reality is Nebuchadnezzar still in his heart has rejected the idea that he's just a man. And he's rejected the idea that my kingdom is not ever going to fall. He's still struggling with that on the inside. So look at what it says in verse 25. Verse 25, for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar is going to go insane. He's going to act like an animal. He's literally going to be given the mind of an animal. Why does the Bible say this is going to happen? Verse 25, seven times will pass for you until what? 
Somebody want to read it out loud? Who's got a booming voice? Where's my, where's my microphone? There we go. All right, go ahead. and Would, would you read it, Rick, since you have the mic? Well, Mag, Maxine, I heard you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, so God's like, listen, this is, this, is the T, this is the TBV. You want to hear the TBV? This is the southern version. Hey, listen up, buttercup. I'm going to tell you something. You think you're the king of the world? Let me tell you something. I'm about to show you something that's going to convince you otherwise, right? He says, I'm going to allow seven years to pass and let you go insane. Why? To teach you one lesson and one lesson only, Nebuchadnezzar, till you acknowledge that the most high God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and he gives them to whoever he wishes. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that apply to Joe Biden? Does that apply to Donald Trump? Yes, it does. That's why I do not get bent out of shape about politics. Do not let the media get you into a frenzy and play you the way the media wants to play you. Because our nation ultimately is being controlled by a fallen usurper known as Satan. But that fallen usurper known as Satan also falls under the sovereignty of the Most High God. So anything and everything that is going on in this nation, it is because either God caused it or he allowed it to happen. He allowed us to make our choices. And now we reap the, the, whatever, the, the, whatever we sow, we reap, right? Okay. But ultimately, who is in control? God. And I'll tell you something. Pride is, is a hard one. And God will absolutely humble you if you struggle with pride on the inside. Because you know what happens when you're prideful? You tell God to get off his throne so you can have a seat. And God don't like sharing that share with anybody. Amen? Okay. I'm reminded of the, the psalm over in, in Psalm 73. I want to read this to you. Psalm 73, 3 through 9, where David, he wonders, you know, why does God allow the wicked to prosper? Why does he allow this stuff to happen? Have you ever wondered that? My goodness, I'm, I'm trying to serve God with all I've got. I can't pay my bills. Struggling with this, that, and the other. And I look over here at wicked people, people that are advocating for the death of innocent children in the womb, people that are, 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 are doing all kinds of horrible, evil, sinful things in this world, and, and they seem like they've got it all together. They've got all the money they could ever need. They've they got all the, the entertainment, all the fun they could ever have. Have you ever thought, man, why in the world is there such a dichotomy in this world? David was wondering the same thing. Here's what he said. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous heart comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Sounds like a lot of politicians today, doesn't it? Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar. So, verse 4. Let's keep reading. 
I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace. I love this next part. Contented and prosperous. He just throws that in there for you. I had a dream that made me afraid. And I was lying in bed. The images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians and enchanters and astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. See, he's not there yet. He's still talking about the gods. He's not there yet. Okay, after the name of my God, the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult to you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. Now, you might think, well, why didn't he just go to Daniel first? (laughs) Right? Because didn't we have this whole fiasco once before? We had the dream of the image, and nobody could interpret it. And if you remember back then, he didn't even tell people the dream. He told them, you got to tell me the dream and the interpretation. Right? So why doesn't he just go straight to Daniel? Well, I don't know. I mean, this is what? This is, bear in mind, this is 67 years later. A lot of people don't realize this. There is 67 years. After the the dream that we have in the last chapter, you have 67 years that go by until until Daniel has another dream. Okay? Now, we're not 67 years past yet. I want to make sure I make sense. Okay? But a lot of time has passed is what I'm trying to say. A lot of time has passed. Not 67 years yet. Why doesn't he go to Daniel? Well, what, what, what pride, maybe, but what role does Daniel have? He's chief magician. Yeah, he's, he's very high up there, right? He's a very prominent person in the kingdom. They tend to have busy schedules, don't they? Right? So my guess is Daniel's not away. That's probably why he wasn't present during the whole Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thing. My guess is Daniel was put on a lot of trips, okay, all throughout the realm, all throughout the kingdom. So finally... He goes to Daniel. Daniel, he asks Daniel to interpret it for him. Notice what he calls him, by the way. What does he call Daniel? He, what is he's the chief of what? The magicians. In Hebrew, that's the chief of the magi. Oh, I heard some O's in there. When I, when I say the word magi, does that ring a bell? What is the magi? Yes. The three wise men, right, in in the book of Luke. Now, let's talk a little bit about this. What is a magician? It was a catch-all term to refer to the people that tended to talk to spirits and, you know, uh, divine things for the future and and whatnot. These were the the wise men, if you will. They um, They were the ones that gave advice to the king, okay? Daniel's the chief of those. And interestingly enough, what you're going to find is, is that when the Babylonian Empire falls, which is going to happen very soon, the Persian Empire is going to come to power. And guess what's going to happen to Daniel? He's yet again for a second time going to get elevated to the chief of the Magi. Now, see, that gives you a little clue. Here you have in the book of Luke, you've got this strange, mysterious story about, you know, this is several hundred years later, right? But you've got this strange, mysterious story of Magi coming from the east to, give, to bear gifts to give to the king of the Jews that had just been born. How in the world does a bunch of Persian mystics know anything about Hebrew prophecy and know where to find the birth of Jesus? Daniel taught them. That's my conjecture. I think it's a pretty good conjecture, don't you think? I think he taught them the way of the Lord and how to understand prophecy. 
and how to look for things and how to see the signs, okay? Okay, so let's keep going. Oh, and by the way, real side note on that. Um, the, the Magi, the, the, the council of Magi in Babylon was different than Persia. In Babylon, you could be a Magi of any ethnicity, right? As long as you had the qualifications, you could be a Magi. In Persia, that was not the case. You couldn't be a Magi unless you're Persian. It was very ethnic. Um, there was a pride that, that was in that school. That later on morphed into what we call today as Zoroastrianism. You've heard of that religion, Zoroastrianism? It's a, it's a, it's a blend of a lot of stuff, but Persian mysticism, basically. Um, how do you think the Persians felt when the king of Persia put a Jew over them? <laughs> Probably made them pretty upset, right? Which is why you have the story later on about Daniel in the lion's den, because that's their way to try to get rid of him because of this. Okay? All right, I digress. Let's get back into the text here. Verse 10. Is that where we are? Did I leave it verse 10? Okay. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land, I want you to listen to this. And when I started learning a little bit more about dreams and visions, your source material is the Bible. The Holy Spirit is consistent in the images that he uses, not only throughout the Bible, but also in the dreams and visions that he gives his saints. I have learned that over the years. So what does a tree represent? Well, I'm going to tell you, we're just going to take a little pause in a moment. I'm going to show you what a tree represents all throughout. There's no way that that's the bill. <laughs> There's no way that I am just getting wound up, folks. <laughs> Elders, can we move service a little later today? Maybe an hour or so? Okay, no, I'm kidding. Okay, I'm teasing. All right. Verse 10. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit was abundant. And on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. That's quite a tree, isn't it? That's a big old tree. All right. But obviously, we're dealing with a symbol here, right? What is the tree representing? What's that? Oh, I didn't forget. I didn't forget. But since the bell rung, you know what this teacher's doing? I'm setting up a cliffhanger for next week. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Huh? The tree, yeah, the tree is life. If you're thinking about the, the tree of life, what you're going to find out here is that this tree represents Nebuchadnezzar, and the tree represents his realm, his kingdom, his rule, his power, his authority, his reach, if you will. What does it mean in the Bible? That's, the Bible's giving you the meaning right here. Yeah. 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 That's good. I like that. Thank you, Sandy. All right, let's look at verse 13, and I think we'll probably catch the bell here, and we'll wrap up. So in the visions I saw, while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger. Do some of your translations say a watcher? 
a watcher? That is a term that is a term that is used sometimes in the Bible that refers to these angels. And if any of you have read the book of Enoch, now the book of Enoch is not biblical, but it is an ancient book that the Jews read. Some of it, some of the ideas in the book are legitimate because the um, Jude in the New Testament quotes that book. Now, does that mean since Jude quotes Enoch, the whole thing is inspired? No, but what he quoted is. <laughs> that's, my, that's my belief, what he quoted is. But my point is, is that in the book of Enoch, it says that there was a group of angels called the Watchers. And that these were the ones that came down in Genesis chapter 6. They had relations with women, the result of which was the giants of old. Okay, So it's a watcher, a watcher. So in the visions, while I was lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a watcher, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots be bound with iron and bronze and remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him, now do you see what it's actually talking about here? The Holy Spirit's now going to tell you what the picture represents. I love the Holy Spirit because he gives you the key to the map, doesn't he? He gives you the hints to look for. So what does this image of a tree represent? He says, let him, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal until seven times pass over him. There's a phrase that you're going to read later in Daniel called time, times, and a half a time. It's mentioned twice in Daniel, twice in Revelation. It's called 42 months. It's called three and a half years. Um, time, times, half a time. Time in Hebrew means like, a year, like a, a year. That's, that's the idea. It means a time of a year, a specific allotted amount of time. And prophetically speaking, it refers to a year. Times is dual. It's two. Uh, in Hebrew, it's, it's um, ayam. And ayam, when you have an ayam on the end, it refers to two things. We don't have a dual in English, I don't think. Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We have, we have a dual in English. Let me say it like this. Here's a dual. Tomorrow, I'm going to introduce you to my friends, both of them. Right? If I say I'm going to introduce you to all my friends, well, that could be two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. But if I say both of them, I'm telling you specifically how many? Two. That's a duel. Okay. All right. Well, I'm up against the, the clock here. So here's what we're going to, we're going to start here next week at verse, um, verse 13, 14, and 15. And here's what I want you to do. Go back and I want you to read this entire chapter. Okay? And look at the image and what it represents. And then next week, we're going to come back and we'll finish out this chapter. Amen? Amen. God bless you. See you at worship here in just a moment.